There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello, I'm Craig and welcome to another episode of Football Kit Memories, the football podcast that gets under the shirt. Today I meet football writer and editor of the Scottish football periodical, Nutmeg Magazine, Daniel Gray. During our chat, I find out how Daniel, a borough man through and through, came to be in Scotland in the first place. and We explore some of the themes of his writing, including the impact of fan culture and the things that go on off the pitch that all combine with what goes on on it to make football such an evocative experience for all. Later, I asked Daniel to pick three of his favourite football shirts and tell me a little bit about what they mean to him. We cover a watershed moment for his hometown club Middlesbrough, promotion and glory years for York City in the 90s, and we finish in Greenock as Daniel explains why this particular Morton shirt sums up his experiences in Scottish football so wonderfully captured in his book Stramash. Remember, you can listen to this and other episodes of Football Kit Memories on all major audio platforms including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Please do like, follow, share, but above all, please do enjoy the podcast. Okay, so today on the podcast, I'm delighted to say I'm joined by a football writer, Daniel Gray. How are you doing, mate? I'm all right, thank you. Really lovely sunny day up here in Edinburgh. Very nice. We've been quite grey in London, unfortunately. You seem to be getting all the good weather out there this summer by the looks of things. So, um, so Daniel, your Twitter bio says you're a borough man that lives in Scotland. Um, how did that all come to be? Well, because of Middlesbrough, actually, I came up in 2003 to watch Phil Stamp playing for Heart, uh, uh, and kept on drinking all day, to cut a long story short, went to a nightclub and met the woman that became my wife, so brought together by Phil Stamp, the the ginger (laughs) cupid, as I like to think. The irony was, I look back now and he didn't even play, he didn't even get off the bench, whereas I tell myself, I think he got on for the last few minutes, actually. So in the um, film version of the story, he'll score a hat-trick, of course. But yeah, so brought together in pursuit of seeing Stampy play for Hearts away at Partick Thistle. Wow, what a story. Was that the first time you were up there in Edinburgh? It was, I must have come as a kid, I remember coming to see Hibs play actually when I was, my dad brought me, he said he was going to t- take me to a game abroad um, yeah. for my 15th birthday and he brought me to see Hibs v Dundee United, so I'd definitely been up before, uh, before going to see the ex- Exborough star playing for Hearts, but not much and not many times, no. Wow, what, what an event. So, mate, you're a very prolific author, and I want to talk to you about your books in a moment, but um, I guess I know you best from uh, Nutmeg magazine. You're the editor, mm. right? Um, do you want to tell yeah. me a bit more about Nutmeg? 
Yeah, Nutmeg started five years ago. It's, it was very much inspired by Blizzard and Blizzard helped us a lot with it. Um, it, was, it's, it was thought up by a brilliant designer called Ali Palmer, who still, you know, is, is in charge of it effectively, though I'm, I'm editor and I work alongside Ali on every edition. And I started just writing, really, then became assistant editor and did the podcast and I edit that still. And about a, just over a few issues ago, and it comes out every three months, I became editor. So uh, reading through about, 90,000 to 100,000 words per, per issue because it's a big, thick, big, yeah. thick thing. Um, yeah, same as the Blizzard comes out every three months, uh, you know, 30 to 35 articles, illustrations as well yeah. uh, on Scottish football, ranging from lovely nostalgic pieces from well-established writers through to things, more modern things, sports science, tactics and all of the rest. And the, the ethos is to, to celebrate the Scottish game, though, without... Uh, you know, it, it, we will keep, we'll include criticism, of course, that, that's just healthy. It's to celebrate the game and to treat all clubs the same. So if you've got a good idea and, and it's well written, you'll get as many pages for, for Dumbarton or Celtic, you know, it's, right. it's very much a level playing field um, like that. I think if you did a, a pie chart of the subjects we'd had, it, it wouldn't all be in green and blue, for instance, as you know, there's <laughs> every club has been covered really. And that's been going for 20 issues now. So the next one's out in September, number 21. Wow, fantastic. So are you commissioning pieces as well? Are people getting in touch? Yeah, yeah. It's mainly people coming to us, actually. I don't, I don't go out to people a lot. I get, you know, I go through my contact book a bit. So in recent issues, I've been able to get Harry Pearson on board. Harry Pearson's probably the reason I'm a writer. I, a fellow Middlesbrough fan, I just loved the far corner and his Guardian and When Saturday Comes columns so much right. when I was a kid. I wrote to him for tips and he sent me a lovely letter. And as it turns out, I've ended up ended up being friends and we do the when saturday comes podcast together so a little bit so for instance yes he he got him on board with nutmeg and uh, other people i've known down the years to, but but generally it's people coming to us and a key thing for us is bringing on young writers so having the or new writers rather than just young so having the fanzine ethos of saying yeah have, have a go and i'll i'll help develop them if, if they're not quite there with with the standards we want to set really but also yeah right through to you know we had patrick barkley in the last couple of issues as well oh. uh, telegraph chief so uh, chief sports writer so it's um it's the, it's a range of writers and a range of topics yeah yeah and you mentioned when Saturday comes as well. So you host their podcast as well as the Nutmeg podcast too, right? Mm. Yeah, and that's been an absolute joy for the last couple of years or so. It, it came about really because when Saturday comes needed to get more people on, on board to, to it's so dramatic to say save the magazine, but you know how hard people know how hard print is at the moment. And yeah. so to get Patreons on board, we do a, a podcast for Patreons, an extra one than the free one. So they get an extra one every month. And it's, yeah, it's become part of my routine. It's a very routine podcast. It's very structured. I enjoy editing it because I know where everything goes. Uh, and it's a it's a joy to do that. I, I learn an awful lot from Andy Lyons and Harry Pearson. Andy's the editor of When Saturday Comes has been since 1986. And so it's a joy for me because I grew up reading it. And to be in, an insider in When Saturday Comes is quite quite something. Yeah, very nice. Um, I spoke to Tom Hawking a few weeks back. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. Yeah, he was great. He was a great guest. So in terms of Nutmeg, you guys do events as well, right? Yeah, yeah. Obviously not in the 
last year and a half or so, but it was becoming a big a big thing to meet readers and then to interview ex players on stage or you know different people from the, the more cultural side. It one one big aim of the events and the podcast has been to talk to interesting people who love Scottish football. So whether it's sort of Ricky Ross from Deacon Blue through to Val McDermott, prime author, uh, you know that's that's the that's where we we we're big music fans as well. So there's a lot of uh, yeah. crossover there. So it's the cultural side of the game as well. It really reflects what you talk about when you go to a game with your good mates you meet up in the pub you might talk about what music you've been listening to what you what film you watched we don't all talk about football all the time yeah um, so i think we, we reflect that as well nice and is that where you'd like to take things in the future then kind of expand out more event kind of experiential stuff yeah definitely and and so because I, I i've done many many events down the years with my different books readings and then chairing things at book festivals so i'm itching to be in a room with real people again I have to say mm. it's just there's just nothing you know these things these the advancement of all this technology in the last year or so has been good because we know we know we can now do this but yeah I think the live stuff will have to come back and, and it'll we'll be all the more full of joy when it does. Most definitely mate most definitely I think a lot of people feel the same way um so Daniel I wanted to uh, talk to you about your writing you're a very prolific author as I mentioned have I got this right there's eight books you published it's probably more, yeah, I think cause I've got one out this week, actually, um, called A Life of Industry, which is a, obviously not a football book, but uh, a, a book based on a massive archive of black and white photography with a, a guy called John Hume took over 50 years across industrial Scotland. So I think that'll be my 11th. So there are other, yeah, there are, there are six football and five other, as it were. That's, I guess, the life of the freelancer is to make sure you can spread yourself a bit across different topics. And, oh, wow. and so that's been the way I've... I've managed to manage, I think, five years of freelancing now and just about getting by. So Good stuff. <laughs> so tell me more about this industrial um, Scotland piece then. Is it kind of a look back at the last 50 years you mentioned? It, it was, it was the, the, the man's called John, John Hume. He's 81 and a, we've become really, I, I knew John and I had become friends because the day we were introduced by the people that commissioned the book, he said to me that he thought the Teesside skyline was every bit as poetic and beautiful as any Scottish Glen. And I thought <laughs> me and you are going to be friends. And there's something, there's much to be said for a, a friendship across the generations. But yeah, John, from a young age, he was born, you know, just before the Second World War and from a young age started taking photographs, became his job uh, and, and it ended up mapping industrial decline really. And so someone had the job of, of choosing a few hundred images from 200,000 or so yeah. for me to, and then I, I interviewed John wrote about his life, the photography and all of the rest. So it's good to do non-football non things as well to keep it, keep the other side of my, my brain ticking over. But on the other hand, I see football as, social history a huge part of the the fabric of the nation so it sits alongside these things to me really yeah 100 percent. do you know what that is actually leads quite nicely into a question i wanted to ask you a lot of the books you seem to write about football seem to be very much kind of the impact on fans and fan culture itself mm, that be yeah. fair to say yeah i mean there are great there are great writers about tactics and transfers and all the rest out there but for me yeah it's fan, it's fan culture it's it's almost outside the 90 minutes very often and I spend a lot of time at matches just looking around I miss think I was I was in a press box the other day at Greenock Martin and one of the people around me was doing some sort of monitoring I don't know if it's for a bookies or, or what and he had to put in every single event that happened and a couple of times he turned to me and went was that seven that got booked there and I thought I don't know I was just looking at the floodlights and thinking how beautiful <laughs> they were and I was wondering why they're in a seven five four bulb formation and who came up with that so, so yeah it's, it's that side of, of the get the distraction 
the distractions of the game and the, the culture and, and things that happen, the routines, the rituals, yeah. and the way we, we behave. Yeah. I think it's super interesting the way people kind of absorb football in different ways. I think that's what makes yeah. it a rich thing yeah. to uh, look into, isn't it? Yeah, that, that's right. Absolutely. And, and it's been interesting hearing people talk about what they've missed most because very few have said things like a last minute winner or the team running out. They've all said the pub at one o'clock, the walk, the burger, the shuffling past the same people, standing in the yeah. same place. Really interests me that. <laughs> I think if you don't go to football, you don't really get that so much of it is about because people will say to you, oh, you've got the you've got all the matches on the computer now. And you just think, I got I tired of that fairly early on. And yeah. I think it's not, yeah, it's not for many of us. It's not the, the match. You know, I've the greatest moments of my life have been when Middlesbrough have scored last minute winners and all of the rest. But they've been great because I was there and because I was going crazy with thousands around me rather than yeah. the pure football itself. So, think, yeah, it's definitely been interesting. Yeah, I, I mean, there's definitely like football fatigue, especially over lockdown, all the kind of televised mm. games, stuff like that. There's only so much you can watch, isn't there? And I think you're yeah, right. Yeah. Experiential side of it is, is just as important. I think you're right. Yeah. So would you say that kind of writing is your passion, is writing the thing that you enjoy most around all the stuff you do around football? Yeah, and I, I, when I look back, uh, you know, bags full of school stuff at my mum's house, there's loads of made-up match reports in there. That, you know, you know in, in the in the psychiatrist chair, you're <laughs> able to say, oh, yeah, this was in me. This was something I wanted to do very early. As soon as I was watching football, I was writing about it. And yeah. That progressed to fanzine writing, which is where it all started for me, just learning to make mistakes in fanzines and make poor jokes. I look back at some of my fanzine stuff for the Middlesbrough fanzine, Fly Me to the Moon, which is still going. And, right. you know, it's toe curling. You can't, the apostrophe errors and all the rest. But <laughs> it was a, a brilliant place to to learn the trade and, and could be given a free reign almost, as 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 is online for, for younger people now. There's many yeah. opportunities to hone and to write and write and write. And, and, and yeah, I'm so thankful to, to fanzines for that. Yeah. How do you, in terms of like how you absorb other people's writing, is it very much a print thing for you? Because not makes print, right? And I know you do. Just yeah, I, I'm, 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 I'm happy if people come to words in any way that suits them, whether it's audio books on screens or whatever. But I'm, I'm print all the way. I've never read a book on anything but paper. Right. And I, I don't read many articles online. I buy a paper still. I'm one of those people. I look yeah. forward to the weekends and buying many newspapers and, in, and indulging in them over the week, the many supplements. And I'm, I'm that's I've loved that. I remember working at, as a paper boy and then working at WH Smith's in various railway stations. And I loved the feel of print then as a teenager. And I feel the same now. Yeah. So that kind of experience, you think it will never go away. Kind of thing. There will always be a place for it. I do, and I've, we've seen that with Nutmeg, stale, sales have been steady from the start and, and are growing, and people just say, when I pick up Nutmeg and pick it, or when Saturday comes, it's I'm not looking at a screen, and so much of my life is about a screen, and, and so they take it to the garden, they take it to the pub. People are always sending us pictures. People send me pictures of themselves reading their books with my books with a pint, and it's the loveliest feeling, and it's all about getting away from this hugely screen-based life so I think we'll have, you know that the print industry and the newspaper industry we know is struggling but I think print will have a, a second third whatever it is life in it yet um yeah. you know another thing with nutmeg it lands on people's doormats and they tweet about how they love the smell of it that's mm. that's something that never I still there aren't many traditional news agents left now but when I find one and I walk into it and I'm, that that's that beautiful sweet salty smell of print still gets me and I think a lot of us feel like that really 
Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's set the space for these things in life. I guess like vinyl is a good example. Cinema is yeah. another example as well. Yeah. Just these experimental right. things. Most yeah. definitely. So yeah. you've got this book coming out next week, and as we're talking, it's the beginning of August. So this book will be out by the time listeners uh, listen. What's mm. kind of next for you, mate? What kind of projects are you thinking about next? Well, I'm I'm working on another commission for the Scottish Trade Union. Uh, council so that's uh, interviewing an all, a lot of trade unionists from down the years which I'm very much enjoying and on, on the football side continuing with nutmeg and continuing with the when Saturday comes podcast and then I'm hoping to do a book about last season actually because in between lockdowns and via press access I was able to get to about I think 14 games I got to and the more I took notes the more I realized that I should in some way mark this season we never want to repeat yeah. And the season that so few saw, really, and yeah. what I did see in those games I managed, and half the games I went to see were expunged from history, which is an interesting thing in itself. Did the goals count? Yeah. And, um, and, and at times it felt like football was a secretive thing. It was, uh, people were quite amazed there, was ma- there were matches going on. These are all such a non- non-league, Northern League and, and Northern Premier League and things like that. Yeah. Cumbria and uh, Lancashire and all of the rest. And uh, so football came to be, uh, sort of a almost an illicit thing to go to. It felt like at times, you know, Bovril as our moonshine and all the rest. So <laughs> I'd like to do a book about that. I've put a proposal into my publisher and I, I think I'll do it in some capacity. Uh, I've, I've taken to recording sounds on my, I've got some nice recording gear now. So I've taken to recording sounds at these things. So maybe in podcast form, I'll do something with that season because yeah. just I just feel as much as I never want to go back there and none of us do. It feels remiss of me as, as a social historian and football fanatic and writer not to mark it in some way. Yeah, well, that sounds really interesting. Look forward to that. Hopefully that comes to fruition. Hmm. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
So, Daniel, should we should we talk about some football shirts? Yes. So, the question I ask everybody on the podcast is, what do football shirts mean to you? Mm. The the put simply, I suppose, the, 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 in my youth, there were a thread that led me back to not literally it would be a long thread, but back to the. The, the threads of shirts led me back to the ground. I always thought I lived away from Teesside. We moved down to York when I was four or five. But right. I, knew, I knew fairly early on from my dad that I was a Middlesbrough fan. And so the shirts, my first shirt, the 88, 89, sponsored by Her- uh, Heritage Hampers, still got the shirt. Um, nice. Was I used to put that on and feel like I was back where I should be at Ayrson Park among all these Leeds strips and Liverpool, as it was then, the most glory-hunted team then. Um and so a shirt has always led me back to that place, if that makes sense. And that's the same now living away. I don't wear the current shirts uh, due to physique and all of the rest, but my daughter has the current Borough shirts and I love getting her one and feeling the thread of it. And those, so those threads lead me straight to the, to the riverside and to Teesside generally. And that, that's what a shirt is really. It's to me a beacon of identity. You, when you support a club like Middlesbrough, there aren't, you know, it's a fairly well-supported club. There are, you know, 20,000 each game, but yeah. still when you spot a Middlesbrough shirt somewhere else, it, gives you something that you wouldn't get if you spotted say man united or man, man city because you're going to see them shirts everywhere yeah the nod of recognition you give someone if you see one in glasgow or on holiday in spain so the shirt is is a is a, is a beacon of identity isn't it that goes without saying of course but yeah that, that that's always felt very strong to me and of course as a kid especially the excitement of the the new design coming out and saving up or begging your parents for one <laughs> That's a thing I look on upon very fondly. I've got all my borough shirts from '88 to the early 2000s and oh, a few wow. after. So uh, yeah, they're they're very special to me. Yeah, absolutely. Lovely stuff. Well, look, we've got a Middlesbrough shirt first up. So out of all of those borough shirts that you, you've got in your collection, you've chosen this one. It was mm. the '92 to '94 home shirt by Admiral. Yeah. So the first Premier League season, borough were there. My first season ticket as a as a fan, 10 years old, and that shirt sponsored by ICI, who had put so much money into saving the club in 1986 when we went into liquidation. Right. Uh, and you, you always knew someone who worked at ICI. There were always ICI donkey jackets behind the goal at Ayrson Park. <laughs> huge, huge sponsor play. And when I have that shirt through there, and it's made of this, the sponsor is made of this different material, sort of rubber thing. And when you used to run with that kit on when you were playing, it was so sweaty. You'd take it off at home and have a red, a red circle on you. And that's the thing about when you, when you must have talked about this before, uh, the, the different materials they're all made from. This was, I guess, ICI probably gave, gave Admiral the material it was made yeah. from. But so, the, so that's one thing I love about that shirt is the sponsor being a local company, obviously a huge multinational company, but a big employer locally yeah. that had helped out the club. And being Admiral, it was the, I think it was the second wave of Admiral when they made a, a brief comeback in the early 90s. They had Leeds at the time as well, I remember. Yeah. Uh, I loved that because it connected back to old England shirts my uncle had given me seeing that wonderful Admiral make and I loved the documentary on ITV a couple of years ago about Admiral. Yeah. So that so the shirt itself was was uh, I, I just looking back I love all the significance of the the makes and the different things I love the design of it when we always like it when there's a bit of extra white in a borough top because Jack Charlton brought in the white band which um, has been brought back in recent years uh, by Hummel uh, which we're always pleased about. 
Uh, but what it's tied up with is, yeah, it's that first Premier League season. We were relegated, as was to become a pattern in my supporting life with Middlesbrough. And then yeah. we wore it the season after when we finished mid-table in the first division. First time players had names on the back of the shirts that year as well. So, uh, it's, it's yeah, hugely significant kit to me. Always um, just too big, too big for all the players, too big. All the kid sizes were too big. I can nearly get into the one I've got now. <laughs> I remember a player called Tommy Wright, the winger rather than the, the Newcastle goalkeeper his sleeves were just huge in this and you look at them now and they didn't fit those kits that's, that's what's clear to me now mine didn't fit the players didn't fit it was very baggy maybe that was about right Manchester baggy time after all yeah of course yeah good shout good shout so would this be a kind of a period as well where Middlesbrough a lot must be changing at the club right the move to the new stadium is coming quite soon Brian Robson yeah the season after this show right yeah, it's the very last shirt of the old era. So Lenny Lawrence left with one game to go in the 1993-94 season, which we won under caretaker manager John Pickering, 5-1 at Charlton, 5-2, sorry. Those Ooh. things are important. And, yeah. uh, and uh, so, so to his absolute credit, Lenny Lawrence, great, great man, um, helped persuade Robbo to come. He went and met with Brian Robson in a little chef by the... A66, which oh. detail I love. <laughs> How 90s can you get? Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, it was the, the plans for the stadium had been put into place. There was going to be money to spend for the first time ever because Steve Gibson now had majority control and was ready to pursue his dreams um, through Brian Robson. So, yes, another significance of that kit. Robbo played in it early on in the early preseason friendlies and things, but that, that's the, so it's the bridging kit between the club we became and, and the old times that I knew first, really. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, very, very significant. There's that really famous photo. It must be in the shirt after <laughs> where he's like half and half like in the blazer and the shorts. <laughs> Glorious. It's, the thing is, I, I don't remember that one at the time. I remember that jacket he wore because he wore it all the time. But okay. uh, it passed me by at the time. And now it's become the ultimate Twitter meme. And <laughs> Borough fans, many wear it as their stag uniform now as well. Do they? <laughs> so <laughs> I think it's glorious. Yeah. No, he's got, when I think about it, though, he's got the Admiral shorts on in that photo, I think. I'll have to look back. Mm. But yeah, another, you know, this is it. We've gone from the quintessentially English Admiral, is it Leicester they were based in? And suddenly we were Area, which is E-R-A-R-A, Area. So that was, a, yeah, the, the big, big change there as well. Very continental, very stylish. Very continental. Premier League, yeah. very nice. <laughs> so let's move on to your second shirt. So mm. this is York City home shirt, 93 to 95 by Cavendish Sports. Yeah, overlap there in time. And I, I suppose for all I'm obsessed with football now and it's become a lot of my job, I, I, you, perhaps you don't care more than you do at the age of, say, 13 to 16 or 17. And that was that period for me. As mentioned, we moved to York and I had my season ticket at Borough, but it so happened that York and Borough fixtures were perfect in that I could go to a home game each week for a couple of seasons right. it worked out like that or right. quite quite a while actually till I went away to uni in 2000 I was always at Booth and Crescent as much as I was at Riverside and uh, that particular era York was a, a glorious one because as Borough were going down in 93 York went up to the third tier of football I was at Wembley beat crew Neil Lennon and all uh, on penalties yeah. and and that just led to an incredible era for the a club of York size in in the third tier and that season, they wore the kit I've chosen. I love love the kit. Again, it's got good shoulders on it. 
must be something there. Um, <laughs> and they got went straight into the playoffs that year as well. They were a, a superb team in, at that level with Barnes up front, McCarthy, who's born in Middlesbrough on the right wing, particular right. favourite of mine, up and a very, very tight defence. And that and Dean Kylie in goal, who went on to great things, of course. Um, right. And I just loved York City gave me a freedom because I went on my own or I went with schoolmates to York, whereas dad was picking me up and taking me to Middlesbrough. And it was a few quid to get in. And I was a junior red, so I was ball boy as well up for one game. Oh. I remember. So having that, having it, it, it taught me you, you can have a, I wouldn't say they were equal. I went to see Middlesbrough York last week, actually, and firmly wanted Borough to win. But right. it's lovely to have a second team that means so much to you and gave me such good times following them home and away. And that I look at that kit now and I don't just see the kit. I see a teenage happy teenage years before girls have ruined everything and you're just with your, you're just with your mates you know at Booth and Crescent at that time I think it was four quid to get in you could get a little ticket at half time to go out round to the chippy called Tony's Play P-L-A-I-C-E and get get a bag of chips um, during half time which is just great the idea they would just lose revenue and let you go out at half time is lovely and so I, I fell in love with Booth and Crescent and I've been back Three times this summer alone, just to, I don't know why I'm doing it to myself, watching it be slowly taken down and slowly rot. But just uh, in the spring, actually, I went for one of my visits to look at the old girl and th- there was a gate open and I asked, could I go in? And I had booth and presents to myself for an hour, oh, which was, wow. a, a, that was supposed to be my goodbye, but I keep going back, just depressing <laughs> myself. Um, yeah, that's, I see that kit and I see my youth. That's, that's what it is, I suppose. I love it. Yeah, I Back love in the it. Freudian... <laughs> Yeah, again on the psychiatrist's couch again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love the shoulder pattern. The like, it's like it's got Y, C, and letters. In yeah, it. yeah. And I mean, they had some. Uh, yeah, that from the city city gate. So, what what's lovely when you know you know how rich the, the city of York's a beautiful place. I, I'd love to live there again someday. My mum's still there, and so it's lovely when the team connects with the city and, and having the, the Minster, one of the gates of the walls on, on the badge like that it's, and the lions and everything like that. But it's lovely that it connects by having Porter Cabin, the sponsor, which was a, a local firm we were very proud of. And as I remember at the time, my classrooms were all Porter Cabins. So you felt like you were doing something for the effort by being in your Porter Cabin. Um, uh, yeah, and, and of course, York had some kit disasters over the years, especially when John Batchelor came in and tried to make York City racing team and put put a racing checkered flag on the kit and the yeah. badge but so yeah that's not likely to be chosen by any York <laughs> person <laughs> so Daniel your your final shirt choice is uh we're up in Scotland now this is Green at Morton 2008-2009 by Butka yeah yeah one of those brilliant kit kit names um school, yeah. absolutely yeah well I'd Men, as mentioned, I'd, I'd moved up to Scotland in, uh, well, I met my wife, my now wife in 2003, moved up in 2004. Uh, and it can feel, you know, it's, it's naturally, it's a very different uh, country to England. That's great. We celebrate that. Absolutely. But I didn't ever feel quite at home. And to, to really get to know it better and to feel that sense of being at home, I decided to just go to as many grounds as I could. And I decided to write a book about it. And so yeah. in the season of, of the Morton shirt I've chosen, I went to 12 matches, spent a lot of time in the towns. I didn't just go to the match and out again, got to know the places, um, researched them in the National Library of Scotland or in local archives. And it really helped me on a selfish level feel more at home here. And I was so welcoming all of these places because they were 
uh, intrigued by this exotic to then visitor going to Aloha or Air or <laughs> Greenock indeed. And so I chose the Greenock Morton kit because I love the local sponsor in millions again, which is a sweet firm still going and still involved with putting money into the club. But, yeah. but Morton Capulo, as I mentioned, I was there my most recent game, is my favourite ground. Really? It's um, a wonderful old ground with... It's not just what's the, the architecture of the ground, which looks like a Sabutio stadium with its terraces and, and um, wonderful roofs and wooden floor in the main stand. It's what's outside the ground. So there's a, a crane behind the goal, an old shipping crane. There's the sugar sheds from when Greenock was the home of Tate and Lyle and, and linked to the slave trade, actually. Um, yeah. And there's the railway on one side, the hills, the water. So to me, Capulo tells the story of football's place in, in industrial Britain. It's, there's a reason it's where it is. And you can look at the industry that surrounds it and see football in, it, in its in its place which is in a town now Middlesbrough have abandoned the town in some ways the ground's a bit outside York is way outside so to be in a ground uh, in a town still is a, is a wonderful thing and, and it's, a, it's a nice shirt that just reminds me of that year of getting to know Scotland through its football teams and towns yeah which became the Buckstra match so I was going to ask you about the front cover of Smash. I think just yeah, absolutely unbelievable. Wonderful. Another Morton shirt, Stuart Roy Clark. Uh, I loved Stuart Roy Clark photography when I was a teenager. I love it now. I've got eight of his pictures up my um, stairway. I'm not sure how I've got away with that. And <laughs> <laughs> I was so pleased when I emailed him and he allowed us to, to use it for a very small fee. And yeah, he, I've got to know him um, in the last few years and I helped produce his podcast as well. So it's, it's one of those things that are, the, when you meet someone who loves the same things about the game as you, which doesn't happen to be transfers and tactics, it happens to be rot, rotting stands and, yeah. and and what people eat on the way to the ground, then you meet a kindred spirit and that's what Stuart's become. But yeah, that's that's a, a, a wonderful, wonderful photo. Probably my favourite favourite cover. Yeah, it's absolutely beautiful. And absolutely, I mean, I've got a bit of family history and it myself and just summing up yeah. the weather and the... Yeah. You know, just the despair of the team and all that yeah. kind of thing the kids face in the, 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 the best thing is you know, we're, we're describing something hopefully people can look and see the photograph but they do all look miserable it's raining and then someone point since that came out four of the people on the photo have got in touch actually there were kids wow. at the time and think and they're saying the weird thing is we won that day we won really well <laughs> and we're all looking like that which i just love <laughs> I love it. And you've got the big Titan crane in the background, like you yeah, say. Yeah, yeah. It's perfect. What you should do is get a recreation of that. Well, I did think about it. One of them became a football writer for the Greenwich Telegraph, actually, which I liked. Right. And so, yeah, we, we did, I did put Stuart back in touch with them. He's been retracing some of the people he took photos of down the years. So, yeah. Love it. Fantastic. Well, look, Daniel, there's, there's three absolutely amazing choices there. Some incredible stories as well. Uh, thanks so much for taking the time and sharing them with me. My absolute pleasure. Um, where can people find you on social and find out about more about Nutmeg? Yeah, well, my, my Twitter is uh, d underscore uh, d underscore grey underscore writer, and my website is danielgreywriter.com and Nutmeg is at uh, nutmegmagazine.co.uk. Wonderful stuff. Well, everybody should get on that and give you a follow, mate. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So there you have it. Massive thanks to Daniel for sharing his football kit memories with me. You can follow me and my own collection on Instagram or get in touch via Twitter or email. Make sure you follow Daniel and Nutmeg Magazine too and all the socials. The music you heard was produced by Eva Led. You can check out his music on his Bandcamp page. 
There's links to absolutely everything I've mentioned there in the notes section. And finally, thanks to you for listening. If you have enjoyed it, please do spread the word, give me a follow on social, and subscribe to Football Kit Memories on your podcast player of choice. And other than that, I'll catch you next time.